0: Hey Frere, Want to know more about vein disease but not be bored to death? Well, you've come to the right place. Join us as we talk about all kinds of things, including vascular disease, advice, comedy, and of course, business growth. I'm your host, Brian Sapp. Hey Moofer. This is Brian Sapp from the Hey Frere podcast. This episode is brought to you by Doc to Doc Lending. Doc-to-Doc Lending provides personal loans to physicians and dentists at rates that make sense. Apply in under five minutes at doc Hi, this is Brian Sapp with the Hamer Fair Podcast. It is my pleasure to present Professor Mark Whiteley. He is a venous surgeon in the UK. He introduced endovenous ablation surgery to the UK in 1999 and set up the internationally renowned The Whiteley Clinic in 2001. He now has three clinics in the UK, is opening a fourth in April of 2022. Mark invented the Trilop procedure for incompetent perforating veins in 2000 and introduced endovenous microwave and high-intensity focused ultrasound, or HIFU, to the UK in 2019. Mark set up the College of Phlebology in 2011 and now runs training courses and fellowships as well as the College of Phlebology International Vein Registry. He sits on the editorial board of the Journal of Astrosurgery, Venous and Lymphatic Disorders, and has won multiple international prizes for his work and has over 146 peer-reviewed publications. He has written three books on venous disease, including the first one featured on Amazon on the venous causes for pelvic congestion syndrome. To say that we have a privilege of talking to Dr. Mark Whiteley is an understatement. I've been following his career for 20 years, and he is a force to be reckoned with in the venous industry. It is extreme pleasure for me to have a casual conversation with this giant in the international vein disease, Dr. Professor Mark Whiteley. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Can you tell me like what and how you through your medical journey, what made you choose
1: veins? Yes. Thanks, Brian. It's great. And thanks so much for inviting me to be part of this. Yeah, veins is really interesting. I, I started life as a general surgeon. I had no medicine in my family at all. And I just basically loved biology at school and ended up being told, I thought I was pretty thick at school. I didn't think I was very clever. And I got told at a careers fair that although I was like wasn't that great you know my grades were they wanted all-rounders and as I played a lot of rugby and I sort of uh, did I got into medicine went through medicine and just fell in love with the subject absolutely had a fantastic time at medical school but the funny thing is right from I remember as a first year uh, medical student at 18 years old just asking a doctor how veins actually worked because they were telling us about valves and things and it, it was very very clear that the doctor didn't have a clue how they actually worked So I thought, fine. And then as I went through and became a junior doctor and we were ripping out veins and some doctors and some hospitals said, no, you only have to tie the top and it all thromboses away. And other people were saying, no, you have to strip them. I realized that they had no idea what they were doing at all. And I'm old enough to remember that the handheld Doppler sort of then came in before duplex. (laughs) And everyone thought that was revolutionary. And then we had duplex, but they sort of said, well, you only really need it for complex veins. And I was going through all of this as a junior doctor and a junior surgeon. And I just got more and more fascinated because I, in those days as a trainee, I was doing cancers and I was doing the oncology side. I was going through my different sections in urology as you do as a rotation. And then first of all, quite broad. So you're doing orthopedics as well. And then you come down into general surgery and it's sort of breast, lower your The one thing I found is vein surgery. Firstly, there's an awful lot of people who've got it. Secondly, There's virtually nobody who understands it or who cares about it. (laughs) So there's a wide open market as such. Thirdly, it is absolutely fascinating. The more you get into it, the more you realise that this research that needs to be done because people don't understand it. But fourthly, and what really drives me more than anything, is I've never found a condition in medicine where patients and doctors expect a bad result and do nothing about it and it's, it's absolutely phenomenal and you say to patients oh your veins have come back because you've had them done five times before and they go yeah well the doctor told me they would come back and everybody just says "Oh, fine imagine that if it was anything else you'd be in the terms of the local solicitor you'd be you know issuing writs you'd be complaining veins it's just they say and the more you understand it the more you realize that in fact veins shouldn't come back if you treat them properly apart from the natural deterioration, which you know from the Framingham studies, three percent to four point five percent PA. Apart from that, anyone whose recurrence rate is higher than that is doing something wrong. And we, you know, there's there's a I thought it would take me six months to convince the world, and 20 years later, I'm still trying to convince my colleagues.
0: No, I so man, you you, you spoke so much truth there, and Man. So that's, that that is so profound. I would say one third. So one of the reasons why I left my old employer is he failed to understand the deep venous component. He failed to understand the root cause for a lot of reoccurrence, uh, you know, and um, I was just a sonographer, but I got to see it because I was seeing patients at the beginning. I was seeing them through the journey. I was seeing them at the end and I was just, like getting fresh. I took it very personal when somebody would have failed treatment. Yeah. And like you would say, so I always, ta- so I rarely go to vein conferences, Mark. <laughs> and, and what, and people ask me all the time, they're like, why don't you go to vein conferences? And I'm like, they're all besides yourself. You're an innovator. You think <laughs> outside the box and you push the envelope, but most of the other guys just regurgitate the same information, and they haven't even thought about why, you know, one of the funny things is, like, after endovenous ablation, they'll go, well, like, the patient, for a long time, people would, would have treatment from the knee, you know, proximal calf up, and the patient would come back, and they'd have a bunch of dilated varicose veins in the lower leg, and the doctors would be like, well you know, the veins have to reroute themselves and, you know, give it time. And it's like, no. And even now, like in American insurance, I think Blue Cross Blue Shield makes us wait six weeks to see if veins shut down. Like, I've never done it. Uh, we've never done an ablation of a GSV. And six, six weeks later, the anterior accessory, which was refluxing at the beginning, suddenly shuts down. It, it never happens yet. Yeah, that's their policy, and and again, this because of people's. Somebody at an academic who really didn't understand veins, went through this whole policy and created this.
1: But go ahead, I'm and, sorry. And the no, this is you know, what you say is absolutely right because we have the same problem in the UK where the so-called top vein surgeons, the ones that the government listened to, are vascular surgeons who happen to do some veins. So of course, if you block off an artery you do find another way around you do you collateralize and so that's in their brains but of course when you're stopping reflux you're actually plugging the hole you're stopping the the falling down so the blood doesn't have to find another way around you stopped it going the wrong way and it's a totally different concept and it took me years to understand that but once you do it's like you know it's like a road to Damascus sort of time you sort of think oh my gosh it's so obvious and you know basically (laughs) there is no I, I one of the things I always say to people is I say if they go to a doctor for veins and the doctor does their own scan and they don't Work in the team with a proper vascular scientist. Walk out, number one. Second time, if you talk to a doctor and you say what happens when I uh, take away or ablate a vein, if he says it finds another way, walk out as well because those those are two really big things that mean your doctor doesn't know what they're talking about. Oh, I I agree, hundred
0: percent. Now, for my American audience, in the UK, a vascular sonographer. Is a vascular scientist. They they have much higher regard for their sonographers than we do in the United States. They give them this fancy title. I actually joined the European Society for Vascular just because I, I wanted, I was hoping I could get somehow get a title of vascular scientist. <laughs> if I ever would no, it didn't happen, but I donated my money to them. But I wanted to clarify that for Americans, again, it's a it's a registered vascular sonographer, and we're very At my clinic, we're very sonographer forward. Mm -hmm. If we get it wrong, the doctor's gonna get it wrong most times. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I know you have a great vascular scientist that on your team. You probably have a whole bunch of them.
1: I I would say that my whole career has been based totally and utterly because I've managed to work with some geniuses, and one of them is Judy Holsot, the vascular technologist or scientist that I work with. And I think that most doctors don't talk to the people around them they think that they're you know like the, the the only important person and I used to go I mean right from the beginning when I first met Judy I looked over her shoulder once saw her scanning someone I went I've got to work with you because she was seeing things I've never seen but then one of the first conversations I had said to her I said you know I said Judy and this was right back in 1999 I said Judy I said what's really weird is when I scan patients who've got Great saphenous vein reflux, so reflux down the, the from the groin to the ankle. I said sometimes I find people who aren't refluxing at the groin, but they're refluxing below that. And I said, but you know, the what everybody says is you you get your the great saphenous vein reflux because of pressure from the from above, which means the top valve has to have gone first. So I said, I and she said, oh, we see that all the time. She said all the time. I said, well, why don't you t- why don't you tell us? She said, oh, because you doctors never listen. And our, our greatest, our greatest research and the things that have come out—the trollop technique, the ascending reflux, the pelvic veins—everything is because we have the same regard for our other doctors, whether interventional radiologists, dermatologists, venous surgeons, as we do our RVTs, our vascular scientists, our nurses. And what we do is, anyone who says, "Hey, isn't this interesting?" we listen to. And we go and we look at it. And because of that, we discover the parva tissue, you know, all these different things were published. It's purely and simply that we listen to people who know what they're talking about. And I personally don't mind what the title is, as long as you're expert at your job and you, you have to be listened to. And I mean, <laughs> thank God I did with Judy because it's, it's made my career. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. That is so awesome to hear. And
0: you've, you know, I know that you've developed, you were the first to do endovenous ablation, like we talked about. Uh, you've developed the trial up, uh procedure uh, for perforating veins. Uh, what other, I mean, I know you've worked with, you're the lead investigator with the new Haifu ultrasound. I know today we were going to talk about pelvic congestion, but I mean, for, for my audience, they may not know, I mean, what are the things you see exciting that you've worked on in the past or working on in the future. And then let's talk about a little bit about the pelvic congestion, how you, your beliefs on
1: it and uh, the deficiencies you see. So I think, I think when we're talking about leg varicose veins now, if people keep up to date with what is going on and they're doing good endovenous ablation with the right techniques and they are using the right powers and they also accept and understand and um, it's controversial but the perforator veins and the pelvic reflux into the legs as long as you understand that I think legs now we should be able to get everybody up to a fairly good standard so looking forward what are the exciting things well the first most exciting is pelvic congestion syndrome and pelvic congestion syndrome we know that one in six women who have leg varicose veins and one in 30 men who have leg varicose veins have them predominantly or a major coming from pelvic veins and it just shocks me that doctors will they will know that venous blood goes from your big toe to your heart and they only look for deficiencies of that circulation up to the groin so anywhere that it falls out into the veins up to the groin is varicose veins but above that oh it just doesn't happen unless of course you're a boy and if you're a boy then you can get varicose veins around your testicle because you can see it and that's called a varicose seal. But when you go to these conferences and you hear these say, world experts talking about pelvic congestion, they'll tell you it's females only. And I always stand up and say, so you don't see boys with varicoceles? And they get very embarrassed and they go, oh, it's whitely talky again. And, you know, the, the, basically pelvic congestion, simply, if we just called it varicose veins of the pelvis then I think it would be a lot easier, but we have to now call it pelvic venous disorders because you know, people want to give it a sexy title, but it really is varicose veins of the pelvis. And it can come because of the valves not working and reflux or it can come because of obstruction. And, you know, as you all know, there's a huge amount of uh, uh, arguments as to which is more important and how we should treat it. And that's an academic thing, but, you know, it is phenomenal. But the most important thing is in, in the UK, and we've got a much smaller population than yours, but in the UK, we know there's about a million women have chronic pain in their pelvis whose lives are disturbed by it and they go to the gynecologists and they get told you know we're going to look for endometriosis we're going to look for adhesions they don't they, they come out of it at the end and they say there's nothing wrong with you you have to see a psychiatrist you're mad they've paid for lots of investigations they've had invasive things like laparoscopy and nobody picked up they've got varicose veins in the pelvis causing it and you know that's shocking shocking
0: it, so i it, it is it is so shocking and i see it all the time i've been i've been scanning pelvic and uh, iliac and pelvic veins for for about 15 years i had a family member who i scanned because they were going to go on birth control and i have seen enough women young women who've who've had dvt after starting birth control that is said hey i want to look at your iliacs and i did iliacs were beautiful but their pelvic her pelvis was just engorged and this was a 20 year old relative of mine. And so I, she was going to the OBGYN like the next week. And so we wrote up the report. We said that she had pelvic congestion and I didn't want to be the, you know, it's weird whenever you're dealing with family, you don't want to be the only person. So I yeah. was looking, I just wanted a confirmation. So we requested a transvaginal ultrasound. And she went and they go, you should go see a vascular doctor. We don't do this. So I called and I'm like, listen, what do you mean you don't do this? Like, I just want you to look for, for uh, uh, varicosities across the myometrium. I want you to look for periuterine veins. Like these are obvious. I can see them with the transabdominal probe. You should have no problems. I get a report back that was normal.
1: <gasps> yeah.
0: And yeah. I wrote a letter to the doctor and I just blasted. I, I just gave yeah. her all the information. And the thing is that the doctor gave me a, the OBGYN, gave me a callback. She said, you know, you came and talked to me about a couple of years and, and I want to apologize and this and that. And it turns out her sonographer, the the OBGYN sonographer ended up coming and becoming a patient of mine and she had pelvic congestion, but it is so widely unrecognized yeah.
1: I'll tell, I'll tell you two little anecdotes of mine as well, because it really, one is one of my best friends is a gynecologist in the UK. She's absolutely brilliant. She, she's very, very good at, at what she does in the menopause area. And one day I was talking to her about this and I said, you know, it's amazing. We don't ever get any referrals from gynecologists. We, we only pick them up because patients read my book or, you know, they've sort of seen the website. And I said, and they're really upset because they've spent so long looking for an answer. And I said, you know, at at laparoscopy, surely sometimes I know the veins are deep inside. But I said, sometimes you must see varicose. She said, oh yeah, they all have them. (laughs) I said, I said, I said, so 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 all your women with pelvic pain that you don't find, you know, another cause, you see these big veins. She said, yeah, yeah, if you haven't got endometriosis, you get big bulging veins. And I said, and you don't think that's a problem? She went, no, you know, you see it all the time, and they're seeing the problem, but because nobody's educated them that that's pelvic congestion they just say normal just a bit veiny the second one i must say about is for many years when i was when i was sort of standing up at um, conferences and going in the newspapers in the uk and saying look you know we can now cure leg ulcers we can uh you know pelvic veins and i was trying to bring people up into the 21st century about veins And one of my big detractors over here, there's a very famous doctor in Devanes, and he was absolutely, all the time, you know, whenever the, because newspapers always try to have the other side, and they would have some, they'd go to him, and he was often the person who'd say, oh, you know, it's not right, it's not true. And he was really horrible, and that meeting to be absolutely very, very horrible to our research. And then out of the blue, I got a phone call from him and said, my daughter has just got uh, got married and she's having so much discomfort in her pelvis during, during and after sexual intercourse deep inside. And she's been to see the gynaecologist, two different ones, very well respected, so that he'd managed to, being in the medical profession, had got him very good um, uh, referrals. They'd said there's nothing wrong with her and she'd ended up under a psychiatrist and he said, he, and his words were, he said, I don't believe anything that you say. But would you mind scanning her? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we we sent it to Judy Holdstock, who is expert, who did the, who's designed the, you know, the duplex and the criteria that we do, um, with Shaman Harrison, and she found that all four veins both ovarian and both internal ilegic absolute hosing huge no no compressions no nutcracker, nothing else nice easy one to do we coiled embolized it all completely and utterly you know they had the usual bit of post-operative discomfort because you've thrombosis a couple of a couple of months later absolutely pain-free seven months later pregnant and with no trouble at all and you know he's never even I've been to a meeting since he never even acknowledges me, never thanks, never even comes up and says, actually, you know, you're still speaks out against pelvic congestion. Unbelievable, isn't
0: it? it it's unbelievable. I, I uh, it's it's so sad. So, I mean, it, I so it bothered me so much. I told you my previous employer, I was over from 2006 to 2010. I was finding all these indications for patients with pelvic and, and iliac vein disease. And he just didn't understand it. He thought I was taking, he thought I was taking ablations away from him. Man. Instead, I was like, no, I'm finding the root cause. And I would have so many women who would cry. They would start crying and it would, and it's, it's almost magical. Cause I would ask, you know, I would see something on the ultrasound that would indicate pelvic involvement. And I swear they would think I was like a, a astrologist because I could sit yeah. there and go, you know, you have. You have low back pain, you have pain during intercourse Mm -hmm. and, and they would start crying because they had been to doctor after doctor, after doctor. It's very, I will say it's very rewarding. And I think with vein disease and maybe I hope you have the same result. I think it's more life-changing than any other vascular, you know, you can, it's crazy. You can find a critical carotid on somebody, you can treat it and the patient lives a little bit and they, they're not going to bring you a basket of fruit. I, when we find somebody's problem that they've searched for 15 years and been taking antipsychotics and you relieve that pain, oh, my God, they end up being like a, a disciple and telling yeah. the whole world about yeah. you. And it, it's amazing. Very rewarding. And-
1: and you get exactly the same thing with venous leg ulcers who have been told for years that you have to have Manuka honey or compression and stuff. And one day they'll suddenly find out that actually you can treat the underlying cause, the veins. And 18 weeks later, on average, they dis- the ulcer disappears. And they do have to wear compression majority of the time. And it is, it's luxury. We've even had a couple of patients start to sue the NHS because they were never told. And of course, over here, we've got to think of the NICE guidelines, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence guidelines. And even though those guidelines which everyone's meant to follow say if you have a venous leg ulcer or severe varicose veins you should have a duplex scan and treatment they were written by english doctors on english <laughs> on Eng- or i said should say uk doctors by uh, uh, you know randomized control studies paid for by the uk tax office and still those same doctors have once they've got their names on the papers go back to not treating them it is utterly ridiculous that you know you you have a country that pays for the research, and all other research. A very clever fellow, John Michaels, up from who's now a health. Uh, he's a doctor, but he also does a lot of health e- economics up in Sheffield. And he showed many years ago. There's a study called the Reactive Study, and just even if you talk about leg varicose veins, even away from pelvic varicose veins, but just leg varicose veins per pound spent, you actually get more improvement for longer so what's called a quality of life year for each pound you spend than you do for almost any other disease than cancers arterial surgery or anything because you're not only relieve the problem now but you prevent the problems in the future and you're doing it on patients who have got decades to live who aren't at the other end of life and venous disease should be right up there it should be the thing people are talking about but it's just not sexy people don't (laughs) don't talk about it
0: no and and it's so so this is the most frustrating for me is and the public doesn't understand this. Your doctor doesn't know anything about vein disease and chances are your vascular surgeon. And and I know this is very controversial to say, but they don't know shit either. And I'll give you an example, Mark. I I told somebody the other day, I I find it crazy. There's like this group of vascular surgeons. They have 19 vascular surgeons in their group and they're marketing varicose veins to the public. Okay. they're spending money marketing varicose veins. And I, I sat down and I was talking to a friend and I said, listen, varicose venous disease is 15 times more prevalent than arterial disease. So think about this you have 19 surgeons, vascular surgeons, almost all of their patients are Medicare, 65 years old or older, probably 80% of them. And they're doing all this arterial work and they have all this venous work walking through their own clinic. And yet they're advertising for a 32 year old girl with spider veins. And the patient with, Venus stage four, venous disease, all is walking
1: through their clinic and they don't even recognize it. It's crazy to me. It is. We we have a problem. I mean, as an academic, as a chairman of a session in a, a Paris meeting in about just before COVID, about end of 2018. And it just struck me, I was on the table uh, on the sort of thing, and there were a couple of American colleagues there as well, but mainly it was a European meeting. Somebody from the audience just started the conversation. They said, why is it that venous disease is so abysmally looked after and looked at? And I said, I can't speak for any other one, but in england what happens is we have the national health service which has a monopoly on on jobs and training and people who do private practice have trained in the nhs and then do some private work and our difficulty is is if the nhs doesn't recognize a condition and doesn't train people for it it doesn't occur so we don't have consultant vein surgeons and unfortunately the public and everyone else thinks vascular means veins they don't realize it means arteries and we should call vascular should be renamed arterial and venous should be venous and that way people would understand that we don't have any venous consultants in the UK in the NHS and because of that there is no training because nobody trains if there isn't a job there and of course the medical schools don't train if there's not a job either so I had a patient the other day who came to see me in fact two years ago now and she was a a research fellow of mine and I do these um, research fellowships for people who want to be medical students and I give them a summer and I get them to write publishing papers and it helps them in their career. And she had come and done this, got a place at medical school, gone through her medical schools up in Manchester and she came back as a junior doctor for me to do her veins. And I said, well, it's very kind of you, but, you know, it's a few hundred miles. Why didn't you which for England's a long way? <laughs> and I said, I said, you know, why didn't you have it done in Manchester? She said, well, number one, if you saw what they were doing there, you wouldn't have it done. She said, but number two, she said, in my five years of training, she said, I had one hour training on varicose veins. And when I went to that lecture, I went in there and this was the down is the veins and varicose veins lecture, one hour and five years. And she said the consultant didn't turn up and sent their registrar instead because they weren't going to waste their time teaching varicose veins. The registrar turned up and said, and it's only a couple of years ago, said, I don't really know much about veins. The boss told me to come along, but, you know, if they're bulged, then you should strip them out. You know, do you have any questions? And that she knew different because she'd worked in my unit. But do you know all those other people, they're going to be the GPs and the family doctors of five years time. And that's another generation of doctors who are going to go through We're still thinking venous diseases, a bit cosmetic-y, a bit of peripheral. And it is a huge uphill battle to explain that 30% of the population have a problem that deteriorates, and you leave it long enough, and it becomes a medical problem. And that's before you get to the pelvic congestion and everything else. That's just your, you know, that's just your leg veins. <laughs> yep. No,
0: I agree. I mean, so in the United States, a lot of the large hospital institutions, they won't allow you because of drug reps in the past, they won't let you do lunch and learns anymore. And so it's very hard to educate somebody. And what we found in my experience is if somebody comes in for leg pain, the doctor will send them to orthopedics first, the orthopedics, they'll clear them, they come back and then they'll send them to pain management. So I think Harvard and and Stanford both did a study and they found one in four people with radiculopathy, nerve pain, or pain in the legs, had undiagnosed chronic venous insufficiency. Wow! And, wow and that's so, interesting. So, yeah. so, but the problem is, it's how do you reach those people? In mm. in our clinic, you have to reach them like you do through social media, yeah. and that, that's what's crazy is we finally. It takes probably about ten patients who come back to their doctor and go, "Why? Why didn't you?" tell us about this before. Now I have one great referral group out of Tyrone, Georgia, and I actually have a nurse practitioner there. I can't think of her name, but she is amazing. She actually sends us patients and she'll actually write the order to check for pelvic congestion. She, she understands it so well. And this is just somebody who is willing to listen, take an hour or two to listen. And then as she's heard more patients, more patients, she's become one of our best referrals. But it's like speaking to the to the to to the deaf as far as trying to communicate to people and then of course with pelvic venous disease a lot of the gyn docs they solve it by taking out the uh, the uterus (laughs) and when they take out the uterus they take out all the 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 engorgement engorged veins and there is some symptom relief but then the patient develops hormonal dysfunction and gets gains weight and all
1: these side effects that are bad I, i've just actually commented on social media i don't know if i'll get into trouble because in in um uh, last last week i think it is in canada there's a doctor who took out um uh, somebody's fallopian tube for pelvic congestion and when he was in there took out the other one so made her sterile and she's turned around and sued him for making him sterile, and he's counter suing her for trying to ruin his reputation because he had consented and everything. And I wrote and said, it, it's irrelevant. If it's truly powerful, unless the reporter's got it wrong, if it's powerful congestion, what was he doing touching her fallopian tubes in any case? Yeah, it has nothing I mean, to do it, with it. It's a, it's a vein problem. Don't touch, the, don't touch her, her reproductive organs. You know, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. But it's, what I would say is that you're... you're I can tell your frustration, but it's even worse in the UK because what we found in the US, at least most of your patients do their research. And what I found is on my, um, with the books I've written, with my YouTube video, with my papers, with my website, We get so many more questions from people in the States than we do in the UK, even though we're a UK-based company, because the UK patients, and we've still got this thing in the UK that if my GP says it, then they must know. And they don't question it. And they don't think, does my GP actually know the latest advances in OBGYN, ENT, neurosurgery you know, they don't realize that it's a very generalist opinion. So we have the problems. I I wrote something up about, uh, you probably know, the the 2012 guidelines showing that if you have thrombosis in your great venous vein or small venous vein, so what they used to call phlebitis or chronic venous uh, thrombophlebitis, so people call it phlebitis. We now know that that, you know, if the clot in the end of that gets close to the deep veins, you've got a 1% chance of a pulmonary embolism. So everyone who gets diagnosed with phlebitis must have a duplex ultrasound scan. And if it's close to the junction, should be anticoagulated. Guidelines from the USA, guidelines from the UK, 2012. So I wrote up in Facebook to everyone, you know, watch out for this. If they're told you've got phlebitis, please follow these guidelines. And of course, what happens? Absolutely, loads of GPs writing to me, this is disgusting, you know, these all get better with antibiotics, <laughs> So, not only not having an ultrasound scan, but not having even the right treatment, but because it's hot and red, there must be infection and antibiotics, and, you know, that is still going on. The number of people who get referred for a scan with phlebitis is, I wouldn't say zero, but it's close on zero even though the guidelines are now 10 years out uh, there. And then when people turn up to the ER and they've got a clot in their lungs, it's, oh, I wonder where that came from. And it's, you know, it, the venous disease, it, 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 oh, I, I could go on for hours, but it's just so, so frustrating.
0: No, I agree. So so I'm working on on a couple book chapters myself. I, and I just had shoulder surgery two weeks ago. I'm supposed to be wearing a harness, but I'm not because it doesn't look good. And so I hired a girl off Facebook and she's been typing for me. And literally my thermostat, my upstairs went out and I had an air conditioning guy. This was three days ago. He was walking up and down my attic stairs right outside my office and he was groaning. And I started talking to him and he's like, oh, I had arthroscopic knee surgery three weeks ago. And I was like, do you do? Do you feel like you have a muscle cramp that won't go away? And he's like, oh yeah, for the last three days. And I was like, you got to go to my office. (laughs) And um, he ended up having uh, two out of two, two uh, gastrocnemius veins that were really dilated, thrombosed, soleil sinus was thrombosed. And uh, he had been coughing and a little short of breath. And Uh, it's like he had went to the orthopedist and didn't see anything. And even in the United States, I have a, uh, so i wrote a paper in 2014 i still cannot get uh, IEC to require muscular caffeine imaging of gastrocnemius veins and you know as well when you're looking at gastroc perforators play a role in venous mm-hmm. insufficiency but there's still like this just constant fight over things that should be relatively for people that are deep into the venous world mm-hmm. are simple
1: but you're right i mean it is frightening some of the statistics that come out there was there was a study that was done which I, even i was totally shocked um showing that if you get if you look at people who get off aeroplanes who have flown for more than seven hours one in 12 have a small dvt and most of those people of course we don't scan one in 12 and luckily most of those people will get better and they'll say oh i don't know why but i had a bit of swelling on that flight Do you know but all of these things, you know, you sort of sit around thinking you know, at least should know about it and you know have it because even if all you do is have a scan, check it doesn't grow, and the second scan, you know, either three days or a week later depending on your protocol, you know, it would be so much safer to actually know in the knowledge and just sort of wait for the disaster and then everyone goes, "Gosh, you know, isn't it terrible? What can happen?" <laughs> no, it's it's amazing. So listen, Mark,
0: uh, Mark, man, you're amazing. I, I could talk to you for literally all day. I know. Would you be opening? open to having a, another discussion at another time
1: always if it's about veins i can talk as long as you like
0: thanks for listening to the hey move for Air podcast for the show notes transcripts and downloads of the things that we've covered visit hey